one. What is up, Football Life? This is Football Life Presents the Audible. I am your host, as always, Randy Hammond, here in upstate New York. Beautiful day. I am joined by my co-host, as always, all the way out in Arizona, where I am sure it is much nicer than it is here. Matt Bushnell, how you doing, man? Doing great, Randy. The weather is hot now. It's summer in Arizona. I think it got up to like 110 today, so um, a brisk summer day. <laughs> a brisk summer day. Uh, we have different definitions of what that is uh, based on our, our geographic locations. But 110 sounds a little bit uncomfortable, if you ask me. I, it's not even 90 here, and I sweat just sitting in my house. So um, different uh, different locations altogether. But we have a, a really great show, if you ask me, planned for today. We're going to break down all the news surrounding the NFL. Uh, one player is holding out. Another player is bashing his former team uh, for trading him. An NFL coach is concerned with the coronavirus guidelines that the NFL has put into place. And we start uh, our very first uh, – division series on the AFC East. And Matt, I know you're excited about this because you referred to them as the worst division in football in football life earlier this week. Oh yeah. The AFC East is garbage this year in my book. Uh, I don't find any team outside of the Dolphins intriguing. I I think the Dolphins are going to be a really fun watch, but man, you talk about the Jets and the Patriots, which I think those two would be the bottom feeders. I think the Bills are the cream of the crop this year, but we'll get into that later. But, yeah, I'm not impressed. Yeah, it's an interesting division. It's certainly a different uh, leader in the clubhouse, if you ask me, and we'll get to, a lot, uh, get to that a little bit later, in which we will have two Football Life guests joining us on the show. Uh, step back co-host Jacob Moses, known Jets fan, will be joining us to break down the, what his expectations for the 2020 Jets. Uh, and put up or shut up year for Sam Darnold. I'm interested to hear his thoughts. And uh, in an effort to not be uh, New York biased, we're welcoming on Akil James to break down his New England Patriots and uh, life after Tom Brady out there in uh, New England. So we're going to have two guests on the show today breaking down the AFC East. Really looking forward to that. But we're going to get into the news here quick first, Matt, uh, before we have those guys hop on here. And I want to start with John Harbaugh because he is not happy with the NFL's uh, coronavirus protocol uh, guidelines, and he calls them humanly impossible to maintain. We're talking social distancing. We're talking keeping, you know, six feet apart from people, having 15 people at per practice. Um, I get where he's coming from here, but this is kind of uh, the way it is now, right? Unfortunately, for the time being, yeah, I don't like it either. I think it's prohibitive to really you know training camp and all those other things I, I understand Harbaugh's point and it's unfortunate yeah I, I understand that it's complicated but you know the rest of the world has been going through this for the last three months now um, it's kind of something we're all kind of going through and we're all kind of living with I understand the difficulty of trying to run a professional football team uh, and run practices with that. I have a hard time believing that these NFL teams are actually going to go through and just go and <laughs> oblige to these protocols. Um, so his quote exactly was on 105.7 The Fan, which I believe is a Baltimore radio station, um, was, I've seen all the memos on that. And quite to be quite honest with you, it's impossible what they're asking us to do. It's humanly impossible. So uh, we're going to do everything that we can do. We're going to do space. We're going to have masks. But, you know, it's a communication sport. We have to be able to communicate with each other in person. We have to practice. And I think that's a big problem with 
all the sports right now and these guidelines, it's hard to play sports when you're being physical and it's contact sports. Every sport involves contact of some kind. So I understand Harbaugh's point, but um, do you think that NFL teams are going to go along with this? And do you think that this is going to, you know, kind of put a hitch into the plans for the season as they are right now? I'm not sure if the teams are going to abide by it, but I think it's more on the players if they're going to allow this to take place. Because ultimately it's going to be up to them. Are they going to say, okay, you know, we understand what the rules are. We have to have this distance. Football, it doesn't work. I mean, not with line play, not with tackling. You can do so much with it, but this is going to be hard for a lot of teams and a lot of players. I, I, I agree. And the problem too is you're, you're putting all these guidelines in for practices right now. And all, all that's going on right now is team practices and they all have to be at their own locations. They can't do joint practices or anything. The problem is when you get down to, to when you have to play games, there's 11 on 11 on that field at all times. How can you practice these things at that time? And that's the problem with having any sport in general is that, you can't have these guys spread out. Um, baseball, obviously, you're in a position on the field and you're spread out. But once there's a base runner, you're the catcher, and the umpire, and the, and the batter's obviously close together, it's a difficult situation with the ongoing pandemic. And I'm interested to see how this all plays out by the time we get to football season. I think more likely than not, I think what's going to happen is they're going to push back the season. Like, they'll flip parts of the schedule. And for football, it's okay. You know, it, it, even if there is a second wave of the coronavirus, they can start the season theoretically in November if they wanted to. Uh, obviously, I think baseball has its own issues if there's even spring training next year. And really, spring training is not going to put any dent in any ratings for the NFL. I mean, the, the NFL could be played on an 85-degree day with nothing but sunshine, and it'll still draw 10 million to 15 million viewers. So mm-hmm. I, I think for the NFL, they're immune to when this goes on TV. Yeah, obviously people are concerned about a second wave happening in the fall, which would directly impact the NFL season. Um, you you kind of have to look at what other leagues are doing and how they are reacting uh, to a potential positive case, what the, what the protocol is, if that happens. The NFL was in the best possible situation of any league uh, that this could have happened to. Uh, baseball obviously had the worst possible situation because it happened right before their season started. All the other leagues uh, were far into their seasons and about like approaching the playoffs. So the NFL has time here to figure out a plan on what to do. Um, if they botch it, it's going to be a problem. So all I ask is that uh, you come up with a backup plan, whether you want to, uh, like you said, postpone the season a couple weeks, you want to push back a month. I don't care. Just make whatever you have, just make sure you have a cognizant plan that the, the players agree with as well. Um, and they're going to have to probably get rid of, uh, you know, fans aren't going to happen in, in the stadiums anyway. So are they going to have, you know, uh, like the NBA is doing Disney world, are they going to have remote locations for all these games? I don't know what their plan is, but they, like I said, they have all summer to figure this out. Don't like, don't do like, don't let what baseball is happening affect you because that's, that's what I don't want to happen. We need football. I, I don't, I know we say we need football. We don't need football. It's not essential to the world, but I think we all could use a little bit of a mental break and football would be great for that. Absolutely. Football comes out, you know, and everything's good to go. Everything's sort of back to normal come September. They're going to kill it in the ratings. People are going to be going nuts. And football takes its rightful place as king of all the sports in America. (laughs) 
no fans are not going to be going to be a great season. I don't care. Uh, I'm going to watch every game and love every second of it. So, um, all right, John Harbaugh, not wrong. If you ask me, not wrong. Legit concerns to be had there. Uh, I want to see how it plays out. Okay, uh, up in Minnesota, we have a holdout, which I guess was expected from uh, media up in Minneapolis. Uh, running back Dalvin Cook. I guess he didn't officially hold out, but he's threatening to hold out um, to Minnesota Vikings for um, obviously a long-term contract. And among all of the running backs who get paid or don't get paid or trying to get paid, he's obviously talented. I'm not saying that, but this is just another case of why you don't pay running backs in Dalvin Cook, if you ask me. See, we couldn't disagree more on the running back position if we cheered for two different sports. The, the running back position – while you like to trash it, I like to think of it as something that can be exploited given the right running back skill set. Christian McCaffrey got a massive contract, just yes. huge. So then you see the layout for that. Dalvin Cook's skill set is not that far different from Christian McCaffrey. We saw the difference in the Vikings when they tried to run through the off tried to run the offense through Kirk Cousins. It was not good. Dalvin Cook can really be the engine of this offense with a good offensive line. He's more than capable of touches, not carries. Let's go on touches here for 25 to 30 touches a game. Um, even a little fantasy nuggets. I mean, he's a huge fantasy value, especially in PPR leagues, getting those receptions. I'm all for Dalvin cook getting his money. You don't, you don't find his injury history a little concerning. I mean, you look at the one year, Todd Gurley had with the Rams and they went to the Super Bowl and he was obviously the focal point. But once he was injured, uh, you saw, uh, I forget the guy's name, but a random guy come in there, have success and not be that. I know he's not as good as Todd Gurley, but it, the surroundings matter here. And they paid Todd Gurley a bunch of money. And guess what? He's already cut and he's already on another team. It just doesn't make a lot of logical sense to me to pay a guy already with injury history. Obviously he's a talented player. I agree with you. He's obviously a difference maker on the field. But I think that's more of a credit to the Vikings roster and offensive line than it, than it is anything else. Because if Dalvin Cook wasn't Christian McCaffrey's situation, Christian McCaffrey doesn't win or lose football games for the Panthers. He puts up numbers. He's great for fantasy football. He won me a fantasy football championship. But the value of the running back position, I think, has plummeted. Uh, and it's not nearly as important as some of the other positions that it re uh, relies on to be successful. I think your issue – Randy, with the running back position, and I'm going to help you out here because I, I know what your problem is. You're looking at it longevity-wise, like lightning in a bottle. You look at a running back as disposable because they only last three, four years, at least most of them. But you do have those freaks like Adrian Peterson. You know, um, Emma Smith lasted a long time. How come those running backs were able to last so long, but these running backs are not? It's because the systems that they're put into. A lot of teams want a skill set of a running back that can catch and carry the ball, and obviously that's hard to find at the level of a Christian McCaffrey, at the level of a Dalvin Cook, dare I say. Saquon Barkley, your favorite running back, Randy, who's going to get a massive extension. So it is an important position on the football field, no matter how you slice it. If you – now, I will agree with you, it's not always a necessity, but it's not a luxury either. you got to have a guy back there that is not only competent, but also capable. I don't disagree with that, but I, I also think that the Vikings wouldn't be that much different of a team if you just have Madison the whole time. Uh, they missed uh, 
Cook quite a bit uh, last year, and they still made the playoffs, and they still made it pretty far into the in, in the playoffs. They beat the Saints at home uh, on the road. Uh, to me, running back is expendable. You know that. I I'm not trying to say they're not great players. A Saquon Barkley is an incredible football player. That's never been my argument. I know that he's a great football player. I watch him play. It's just the investment of once you pay a guy past that first contract, it almost never works out for the running backs. Adrian Peterson is a Hall of Famer. He's top five rushing guards all time. I mean, he is almost the exception to the rule at this point. Um, the guys don't last that long anymore at that position. And to me, I, it relies so much on your surroundings. Like Christian McCaffrey puts up incredible numbers, but you know they don't have a great offensive line. When Cam Newton is hurt, they don't win games. When their defense is bad, they don't win games. Christian McCaffrey doesn't win or lose football games. It's the same thing with Saquon Barkley. He's obviously the best player the Giants have, but the surrounding cast and the defense, he's not enough on his own to win games. Whereas if you have a great quarterback, you have a great pass rush, those guys actually make difference differences in wins and losses. That's not fair, Randy. I mean, the quarterback affects every play on every down of the game that they're on offense. I mean, that yeah. that's a given. If you have a Hall of Fame quarterback or a, a competent quarterback, a good quarterback, chances are you, you have a real realistic shot at the playoffs. Pass rush, obviously, because that changes an entire complexion of the game. I mean, you can see the 49ers this year, the Bears two years ago. I mean, great defenses – always seem to have a dominant pass rush. You don't hear a great defense without a dominant pass rusher. So that kind of goes without saying. Running backs are dependent on their offensive line to a certain extent. Obviously, the one that comes to mind that doesn't need a great offensive line was Barry Sanders. I mean, I watched Barry Sanders for a lot of years, and he played behind some of the most atrocious offensive lines you can ever imagine. Um, Walter Payton's another good example for his first six years in the league. And he had monster years, all those years. He had probably one of the worst offensive lines of all time, of all time. But I get it in today's game. You need a running back with a good offensive line. Leon brought up Melvin Gordon, who didn't get a contract extension from the Chargers. Obviously, they tagged him. They let him go. Now he's mm -hmm. with the Broncos. That's going to be an interesting situation to see how they adapt with him. And if he is actually – you know, I guess the top tier running back that his fantasy numbers led you to believe a couple years ago. Le'Veon Bell is another name he threw out there, Randy. And my thought on Le'Veon Bell is the Jets are so incompetent and so bad with surrounding players with talents, um, well, key players. And Adam Gase is not one of those head coaches where I look at like, man, he knows how to utilize guys like that. Adam Gase looks to me like a Kenyon Drake, um, a Jordan Howard type of running back where, you know, literally three yards in a cloud of dust. Le'Veon Bell obviously bet on himself to try to get a, a bigger contract and to say that he was worth it to not have the miles on his legs. Obviously, I think it backfired um, because he went to the Jets, who, as Jacob just pointed out, they don't have a great offensive line. Uh, Adam Gase is kind of an overrated offensive coach. Um, Sam Darnold obviously hasn't 100% put it together yet. Le'Veon Bell was also never a guy who was that explosive, never that athletic, um, never – I mean, he had a quick burst, but his running style is so unique that he sets guys up. He actually helps his offensive line, I think, by the way he runs. So he is sort of a guy that could be, you know, uh, a guy who is potentially a longer career because he doesn't take big hits. He doesn't he, – he's not reliant on his physical attributes, I don't think. He's a great pass catcher. 
he's a he's kind of like the possession receiver of running backs in, in a sense. Um, I think he is a complete back, but he's also older now. The wear and tear on a running back's body can't be understated. The Steelers gave him the ball a lot. It, it wasn't Antonio Brown and Big Ben. It was Le'Veon Bell, and it was a lot of Le'Veon Bell for that, for, I don't know, four-year stretch. I don't have those numbers off the top of my head, but he got the ball a ton. So it's uh, – I, I, I don't want to, like, think about the running backs. Unfortunately, <laughs> the running back is someone that I have always kind of bashed. And it's not anything against the individual running back. I just think in the game that's played now with the um, the quarterback play and how it's a passing league, that they're more expendable in the sense that, like, you bring up Melvin Gordon, and he is a guy that got outplayed by his backup often last year. You know, I, I, I think that the surroundings mean a lot more in this situation for running backs than it does for any other – like, for receiver as well. Like, you have uh, – if you don't have a great quarterback, your receivers are going to be affected by it. If you have great receivers and a crappy quarterback, those receivers are limited, obviously. So receivers and running backs are similar to me that they are a luxury. They're nice to have, but I don't think they're necessary to be successful in the sport. So two issues I'm going to take up with you on Le'Veon Bell real quick, and then we can kind of switch gears here. Uh, Le'Veon Bell is extremely athletic, Randy. I I don't know what Le'Veon Bell you were watching, but that's not the Le'Veon Bell that I saw. I, I saw a guy that was extremely explosive that could take it to the house on a moment's notice. Great pass catcher. He had a lot of long run, a lot of touchdown runs that went over 40 yards. I had him on fan. I had my fantasy team for two years. I know he brought me a championship. So I am a huge Le'Veon Bell fan. Now I can understand the perception because he is older now. He sat out a year. Does age and not having that wear and tear on your body make a difference, or is age still age and it doesn't matter? I mean, I think this is the year we find out. Second thing – It's not to say that – okay, go ahead. I apologize. Oh, no. And, and the second thing was – and I, I'm glad Felipe brought this up with Adam Gase's offense. The one-yard dump-off in the flats does not exploit Le'Veon Bell's athletic ability. I mean – you want to run a lot of middle screens. You want to get your offensive lineman out there and run screens with Bell. He does. He is one of the best at setting up his blockers. I completely agree with you on that. That is beyond a shadow of a doubt. And that's when he's at his most dangerous is when he's getting those screens and he can set up his blockers to be able to get that separation that makes him so explosive. So I'm not going to disagree with you on Le'Veon Bell not being good this year. I'm going to say I don't know. I, I guess, like, to use the word not athletic isn't the right way of phrasing it because obviously he's in the NFL and he's an elite player in the NFL. So just by that alone, obviously he's athletic. Um, and you know what I mean, though. He is very patient. Uh, I don't think – especially these days, you don't see him ever run full speed. So, like, when you see Saquon Barkley or Christian McCaffrey run – they are like the fastest guys on the field. And I never, I don't remember seeing that from Le'Veon Bell. It's not to say he's not elusive or he doesn't have moves. I've just never seen him beat a corner and a safety to the edge and just beat them for, you know, a 75 yard touchdown. Not to say he's never scored a long touchdown or anything like that, but he's very different in the way he runs than those guys. Fair enough. Uh, great fantasy running back too, obviously the, the passing, the pass catching ability, uh, total stud in that department. Um, <laughs> now a guy who doesn't have much impact fantasy, but obviously an impact defensively was former Titans defensive tackle, Jarrell Casey, uh, who he was traded to the Broncos in March. 
he spoke out, spoke out this week saying that the Titans just threw him away like a piece of trash, which I believe he played for the Titans for a long time. And he is obviously a, a fan favorite favorite in Tennessee, um, a big man up in the middle. He's 6'1", 305 pounds, um, big, important part of that defense. So I, it was a little bit of a surprise to me that they traded him. He did re-up for the Titans with a four-year, $60 million contract in 2017. So that's a lot of money. So maybe age had something to do with it. Um, but he's an important part of the team that made it to the AFC Championship game last year. What do you make of his comments? Sour grapes. I mean, obviously no player wants to be traded, especially when he thinks he's so integral to the team. Obviously, I think he feels he got dumped off on the Broncos, who for better or worse, he may not think are going to be very good, where he looks at the Titans and he sees it as an opportunity that he may not have. Well, Jarrell, let me tell you right now, you don't have to worry about it. Tennessee ain't making the playoffs. So, you know, you'll be fine in Denver. You weren't making the playoffs this year anyway. So, Save it for the AFC South predictions. Jeez, that's a hot take. I love it. I, yeah, like you said, it's, it's a lot of sour grapes on a team gets rid of a player. He obviously has some type of feelings about it. Uh, he probably thought he was going to end his career there. I like his fit with the Broncos, though. I think he's going to be great for them. I, I honestly do like Jarrell Casey a lot as a player. If you need that big guy, run stuff for him in the middle. He's, I think he, he's a guy who could play all three downs as well. I think that has value. You're not constantly moving guys in and out. So uh, good move for the Broncos. Big salary, I will say that. It's a lot of money for a guy who's kind of getting older. So, uh, I just wanted to touch on that. I found his comments kind of interesting and uh, it sort of always brings you back to like a bad breakup. Uh, it's not as like intense as like the Giants trading Odell, which obviously had some more drama attached to it. But anytime you have a guy that fans really love and you trade him, it's, it never ends uh, well like that. Okay. So that's about all the NFL news um, we, we're going to touch on in a show, but we have some college football news, Matt. And I know you're excited about it because for the audience, you don't know, Matt Bushnell lives in Arizona. I don't know how long this happened, how long ago this happened, but he is a big USC fan. I live in upstate New York. I've lived in upstate New York my entire life, but I have never, ever seen a better college football player than Reggie Bush. And news came out this week that Reggie Bush and USC are getting back together. A long time coming for a guy who defined a college football generation with his moves. Um, I believe what the, the phrase was is that he is no longer disassociated with the college. Uh, if, correct me if I'm wrong there. Um, but 10 years ago now, he released his Heisman from them. Matt, just uh, give me your thoughts about Reggie Bush and USC kind of getting back together here. Okay. Well, let me start off by giving everyone a little bit of a lesson on my USC love. It was back in 1995, lived, you know, just north of Evanston, Illinois, and Northwestern was like the buzz of the town. Everyone loved Northwestern. I hated Northwestern. A bunch of garbage, Big Ten team who thought they were better than what they were, and Rose Bowl, here comes USC, and one of my favorite college players, only second to Reggie Bush, was Keyshawn Johnson. Keyshawn Johnson lit them up for over, I want to say 19 catches, over 200 yards, just took those kids to school. I loved it. So it shut a lot of people up who joined that Northwestern bandwagon. <coughs> Reggie Bush. What you can say about him was just, you know, some wrestling fans that, you know, you just felt when the rock would come into the building and you just felt it like it was something different. When Reggie Bush touched the football, 
you had to hold your breath. I mean, literally, it was zero to 60 in a blink of an eye. He would flip a game on its head instantaneously. Reggie was so dynamic on the, col- on the football field in college that as soon as he slipped that first tackle, it was gone. I mean, he was the fastest player on the field, the most elusive player on the field. You can't give enough adjectives to describe how slippery, how fast his acceleration was second to none. The only player in my lifetime that I thought he compared to was Gale Sayers. And if you watch Gale Sayers play, it it was just a bolt of lightning. It was like a deer or a gazelle. And that's what I saw with Reggie in college. I, I wish he would have played in today's NFL, as I feel if he was playing in today's NFL, he would be so dynamic. You would even love him, Randy. You would say, <laughs> lock this guy up long term. Yeah, I, I'd still love him. Uh, it's been years since I watched him play at USC, but as a you know, 14-year-old kid watching college football, I didn't care who USC was playing, but I had to watch. And uh, oh, yeah. he, Reggie Bush was the main reason why. The guy made everyone miss. Uh, as soon as he caught the ball on the screen, got the handoff, he was just the most electric football player I think I'd ever seen at that point in my my young life. Uh, I remember a game against Notre Dame in which my family is, most of my family are Notre Dame fans. Um, they resented Reggie Bush quite a bit. Um, he, I, I don't remember the run, I don't remember the game, but he must have made nine of the 11 defenders miss on one play and just took like a 65 yarder to the house. And it was one of the most insane plays I've ever seen still to this day. Uh, you hear about stories of Notre Dame uh, not cutting the grass to try to slow him down. Uh, just the impact and the pre- preparation and how scared teams were to play him. Uh, you know, there's not a lot of guys with that sort of impact anymore. And it's a good transition. But in 2005, he won the Heisman Trophy. He had 2,218 total yards from scrimmage and 18 touchdowns. It's just that is insane numbers. Um, so in 2010, five years later, um, the NCAA came out and said that one of the requirements to be eligible for the award is that the player must be in compliance with NCAA rules. Uh, it is reported that he received improper benefits while he was at USC. Um, and so apparently his family received hundreds of thousands of dollars in gifts uh, after he was even drafted by the Saints in 2006 to overall. So he had given up his Heisman Trophy uh, in September of 2010. We're approaching 10 years of that. Matt, I think you agree with me. It's time to give that Heisman back for Edgar Bush. I just find the NCAA so hypocritical in situations like this. And I'm glad they were finally letting players capitalize off their likeness, you know, what they look like, the, you know, their name and everything. But it, this is more than time. Why not go after the people in charge? You know, Pete Carroll got the hell out of Dodge and he knew all this stuff was going on. You know, mm-hmm. The, the AD, the president, go, go after these people. Stop going after the kids because you come from an impoverished area. You're going to take what you can get. I mean, these kids struggle all over the place, and the NCAA wants to take away their history. I mean, this is their history. It had nothing to do with what he did on the football field. It had no impact on games. Did it help that he went to USC and his parents got paid money because of that? Of course. But that was him. He earned that for his family. And if people want to pay him to go to a school, he should be able to take advantage of that. And I just cannot stand how the NCAA makes billions 
off their television contracts and tries to tell these student athletes, nope, you can't make money off your likeness. NCAA, you can go screw yourself. I'm sick of it. I can't wait for the day it dies. And Pete Carroll, you should be ashamed of yourself every time you look in the mirror. Yeah, it's it's kind of hypocritical too. I, I, to me, if you don't want to pay college football players, I understand that logic. Even though the revenue that they bring in, it's just basic capitalism, kind of like we've talked about with the pros, how much money you know football players, especially at the college level, bring in for their programs. What is why can't guys make money off of their own likeness? That's their name. That's who they are. That never made sense to me. Like, who are you to control their name and who they are as a person? They can't go sign autographs and make fifty bucks. Like, why? That that never ever connected with me. Like, you want to not pay them, say they're going to college or getting a free ride, whatever. Fine, I, I I can kind of accept that argument, even though it's kind of stupid too. But making the money off their own likeness, like if they're worthy of that, if guys want to pay money to see them or to get an autograph or to buy a jersey then why not i don't I, that never connects with me. yep agreed um so the last part of this before we get to our afc segment i want to ask you uh is reggie bush the greatest college football player ever and i want to preface this by saying um i went to i went to a couple different colleges and one of my professors in community college went to the university of florida and always argued with me that Tim Tebow was the best college football player of all time. I just never got over the fact like he had a, a can't get his throw and like the Florida teams were, were kind of stacked all around. You have to look at how many NFL players were on those rosters. Um, I always just always argued that Reggie Bush was a better player. And obviously this is a generational thing. These are guys that I've seen. So like if you go back in history, you could find guys who are better, but you know, where does Reggie Bush rank for you as far as college football players go? So totally biased here. I, I will admit um, he's probably the best college football player I've ever seen in my lifetime, just based off the things that he could do. Um, I can't really think of anybody that had the package. I mean, college was so geared on running. I mean, Vince Young had a year where he was spectacular. And a lot of the players I think of off the top of my head are like one-year wonders it, you know, in college that were so great. Reggie Bush did it for two years, three if you count his freshman year when he saw some of the action on the field. So this was coming. This was You always knew that Reggie was coming even when he wasn't getting a lot of touches. So what he did on those in those two years was just completely above my expectations, and I didn't see anybody like that. So I absolutely love him, and I, I am in the camp that Reggie Bush is the greatest college football player that ever lived outside. And I have to preface, I didn't see Jim Brown. I didn't see Ernie right. Davis. So mm-hmm. during my lifetime, from what I saw, Reggie Bush was the greatest. Right. And we obviously have to say, you know, this is our lifetime we're speaking about here because um, you watch a movie like the express and you see Jim Brown's greatness and you see Ernie Davis's greatness. Uh, it's hard to compare eras, but for my money, I, I don't think I've ever seen a more exciting player at the college level than Reggie Bush. And I don't think, you know, it's going to take a guy like him, maybe even a guy at the quarterback position uh, to, to kind of take that role. Obviously, you have guys who are great, but to captivate a whole country, to make the, all the everyone want to watch you, whether they're rooting for you or not, is not something you see all the time. So to me, for my money, Reggie Bush is the most exciting college football player. And I would say the best college football player. You look at those numbers in the Heisman season, just insane numbers, man. You don't, you don't see that anymore. Um, 
you know, I'm surprised. I mean, you're biased. I, I, I even thought you were going to make some sort of historical comparison for Reggie Bush, but you're just going all in on the Reggie Bush train, huh? Well, I can't mention he who shall not be named, obviously. I mean, so, so I mean, we could talk OJ. All right. O, OJ was fantastic. Mm. You know, USC invented the student body left, student body right. You know, the pulling, pulling the offensive line and leading the way. O, OJ was one of a kind. Um, immense immensely talented i mean we could go that route but i didn't i saw tapes of oj i didn't see the live version of oj so mm-hmm. um the closest one was Keyshawn. i think Keyshawn was really really good i remember joe mcknight was supposed to be the next big thing and he was a victim of gun violence himself in new orleans where he got shot and killed obviously so but th- th- there was a lot of uh a, a, a lot of expectations on Joe, and obviously, I don't think he ever fulfilled that. And he was a Jet, got drafted by the Jets. So, I mean, for, for my money, what I saw, you can't deny that it was Reggie. I mean, there was quarterbacks like Tebow that you could always say, Vince Young. Um, but, man, Matt Liner and, and that offense, Mike Williams before he ate himself out of, you know, football, literally. and just that defense and everything, but, but you knew Reggie Bush. I mean, he was an icon. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. And then obviously for pop culture references, his, his stint with Kim Kardashian as well, which I think increases his legend just a little bit <laughs> uh, post post-college career. Uh, I always think about the greatest, greatest college football teams. Like, you know, I, I think of the U, I think of some, some Notre Dame teams, some old USC teams, and you brought up OJ. Um, there's not just like one guy on those U teams or some of those Ohio state teams or some of those Notre Dame teams that come to mind to me. That's just, that guy's the greatest college football player. They were all great players and they all made it to the NFL and had successful NFL careers. And some of those, a lot of those guys are hall of famers, but as far as like one guy sticking out at the college football level, I I, I can't pinpoint one of them and say they stuck out more than another. Yeah. I I think you get, into a slippery conversation when you start wanting to compare and see guys that you may not have seen live. And, and I always stress football, when you evaluate players, stats are great and they definitely make a difference, but the eye test has such a large impact on what you're seeing. And football really kind of comes down to the eye test. You know, are your eyes deceiving you? Yeah, um, obviously the legend of Reggie Bush is so great in the college football level. Now, guys, I know you're all looking forward to this. We want to welcome on two of our favorite people here to talk about our first installment of our division series, where we're going to break down the AFC East, or which some people refer to it as the AFC Least. Here we go. Uh, we're going to welcome in uh, Jacob Moses, who is our known Jets fan. He's rocking the gear, obviously, right now as we speak. Sure. Uh, and Akil James, our resident Patriots fan. Um, which I didn't want to be accused of any uh, New York bias, obviously being a, an anti-Boston person, but we're going to welcome him on to talk about the post-Tom Brady Patriots. Jacob, I'm going to start with you. How you doing, man? I'm good, man. Happy to be on here. This is great. Yes, Jacob. I'm doing well. Well. Okay, doing well. Let me say this. Matt, watch your damn mouth. First of all. <laughs> <laughs> That shit. <laughs> oh, well, um, uh, you're right. I will say you could call the AFC Leafs 
pretty much the Patriots and then everybody else. So I do, I give you that one. Um, but no, thank you for having me on. I'm ready to, let's do this. Let's dissect my team. Well, I mean, there's, there's not much to dissect since it's so <laughs> void of talent. <laughs> whoa, whoa, you have talent, all right? It's just not on the offensive end. But um, Jacob, obviously joining us for the first time, he is the co-host of the Step Back over in Ballist Life with Leon Tompkins, uh, which is obviously a great show on Wednesday nights. Uh, so he's going to come on and talk about his Jets, uh, similar to his Knicks. I'm sure he has some painful <laughs> stories, which we'll get to. Uh, a guy who's had nothing but fortune in the fandom for the last 20 years, Akil, uh, joining us. Akil, how you doing, man? I'm all right. I'm all right. How you doing, guys? Um, definitely an interesting year, I must say, for the AFC East. I think with Brady leaving, it makes the playing field a lot more even. Uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll just leave that for now, and then when we get more into it, uh, we could go more in-depth. Yes, so you kind of let us in there. We're going to start with the Patriots because okay. they're the team in the division that has won 17 of the last 20 division titles, and they have won 11 consecutive division titles uh, of reign of, like, anything I've ever seen. Um, I think the, the rest of the world, especially the rest of the football world, is excited for some new blood to come out of that division. Um, right. But, yeah. Akil, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start you off first here. This is the first time, well, if you don't count 2009, but first time since uh -huh. the year 2000 that Tom Brady is not going to be taking another center for the Patriots. What do you make of Jared Stidham and what are your expectations? Um, being brutally honest, I'm hoping for 8-8. Eight and eight. As a eight Patriots eight, okay. fan, if if I you know if I just do bias, I think we could honestly obtain ten and six, depending on how we play. But for me, it's the quarterback. I think our defense is good enough to match with most teams, like top tier. But offense with Brady leaving is not that um saying that Bill Belichick can't work his magic. I just haven't seen enough from the two quarterbacks that we currently have that they could take that next step in the playoffs if we get there. Matt, what do you make of Jared Stidham and the era that's beginning here in New England? I mean, it's, it's a lot of bad. You don't know much about him. Obviously, Patriot players are saying, oh, he's tearing it up in practice. I'm not buying it. The Patriots are like that team that you think are, are, are – it's a geriatric league. I mean, they're so old. They have no speed. The offense is pedestrian at best. I, I don't think they have a skill position player outside of Julia, Julian Edelman that, you know, frightens me. And I wouldn't be surprised if Julian walked into the Belichick's office and demanded a trade with all the garbage that's surrounding him. Uh, the, the defense is good. But I think what we saw was – they're not top 10. They're probably somewhere between 15 and 10. They beat up on a lot of crappy offenses. They played Ryan Fitzpatrick and the Patriots. The Bills, who are still trying to figure out what an NFL offense is, and then Jacobs Jets, which, I mean, <laughs> Adam Gase is still trying to figure out what the forward pass is. <laughs> I, I mean, what if I mean, what if uh, Julian Edelman decided that you know I was a college quarterback? I'm better than this bum. Let me play quarterback. <laughs> uh, 
I always like that as a potential scenario. Or trade me to Tampa so I can play with Tom again. Uh, <laughs> uh, Akil, you mentioned Bill uh, Belichick here. To me, he's the greatest coach of all time. I don't think there's any disputing that anymore. Uh, right. What are your do – you, do you trust Bill I, – I don't think trust is the right word. Obviously, you trust Bill Belichick. But yeah. what does he have to do with Jared Stidham, a quarterback, to, like, make you think that he could do something that you didn't even think that he could do? Like, to me, like, if he brought the Patri- this Patriots team to even the AFC mm-hmm. championship game, it would just right. be insane. And he's the uh, coaching god of all gods. I think with the moves that we made, it didn't give me confidence that we could do it. And now, again, somebody could step up, you know, it's a team where Bill plugs in guys that, you know, come right off the street, you know, from their nine to five and he makes stars out of them. So again, you know, I might just be, you know, looking at the glass half empty because of losing Brady, because he saved us, you know, the last Super Bowl, you know, since then he's been like, taking a lot of the load on his shoulders and with losing Gronk that showed more gaps because now the teams could pass rushes more. It took off pressure on the secondaries that we face, but to get back, I definitely still trust Belichick. I think we have to do trades to help um, Edelman because Sanu is still on our team. He's still like 50-50. I don't know if he didn't get the playbook last year. What was, you know, the reason why he didn't blow up as I thought he would have. Uh, Jacob, you know, this is the first time you don't have number 12 under center torturing your fan base and the rest of your division. <laughs> what do you make of the Patriots in 2020? Praise be to Jesus. I'm tired. Of, I, oh, man. You talk <laughs> about a rain, like you said, a rain of terror. You have no idea. <laughs> I was been basically under Brady, Brady, Brady. It's like kind of like a fresh, just amount of fresh air. But you never can count out the Patriots because God knows, what is his name? The backup. Stidham, whatever we call him, whatever his name is. You never know. He might be the next best thing. That would be our luck. But um, I'll say 8 and 8 is fair. That's Honestly, I, I would say that could be our record. I won't – Sam has to take that next step, which I think he will. You know, everybody, oh, they don't have – they do have pretty good offensive players coming at Perryman. If you looked at the last six or seven weeks, he was pretty good. Matt, don't shake your head. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> not bad. It's pretty much it's a wash between him and Anderson because Robbie Anderson, he couldn't separate if, it, if his life depended on it. He could not get open anywhere. If it wasn't a fly route, he was done. I mean, Jamison Crowder was a decent slot receiver. You know, Mims, I think he's going to be decent. I'm not going to overrate him either. I mean, he's, he has decent weapons. I would have liked to see them get a number one receiver, a legit one. But um, it didn't happen. But even with the receiving court we had, Sam still threw for over 3,000 yards, you know, 19 touchdowns. He had the, His worst game was the ghost game against the Patriots. That was pretty bad. But other than that, I mean, he took his steps forward. He just has to back – you know, Matt, being a USC, USC fan, the turnovers, he got – you got to tone it down. You're not going to win games like that. The offensive line has been totally redone, which we needed. You can't – Sam can't be on his ass and then expect him to do really well. They did the O-line over. 
drafted Beckton. I was happy about that. Van Roten, McGovern, you know, I got another kid from Charlotte. It's a huge guy that can really help. I mean, the offensive line is there. The defense, I'm not worried about. We had a ranked seventh in the league. You know, we had people come out of nowhere like Terrell Basham, you know, Blesson Austin, you know, C.J. Mosley was big. That first game, he single-handedly pretty much took the Bills out. He went down, 16-0 league, goals out the window. So, like I said, the defense is there. Greg Williams, I give it to that guy, and people love playing for him. Um, just got to get the Jamal Adams situation fixed before I blow a gasket. <laughs> so, All right, well, we'll do go, – go ahead, Matt. We'll go ahead. Well, there's a lot of pieces there to dissect now that you bring them up. But the the issue for the Jets is Belichick is so much better at Definitely. scheming and doing things that the Jets don't even have a chance right now. That's true. That's I mean, if, if you ask me who's going to finish with a better record, it's the Patriots. I mean, I, I don't care if Jared Stidham's back there or it's if it's actually Bill Belichick playing quarterback. The, the Patriots are better than the Jets. That's true. Um, Akil, I think you're in an interesting situation as a fan for the first time seeing your dynasty with the one constant. And I draw – last week we talked about a ten-part documentary series or a nine-part for Brady. I find it interesting because as a Chicago Bulls fan, I remember what it was like that first year without Jordan. Void of hope. You you knew you were going to lose more than you were going to win. And you had no idea what your organization was doing. I, I think the Patriots with Belichick, you have some confidence that he's been here before. But how do you feel about your Patriots for the next five years? Do you see another Super Bowl? Do you see division dominance? Or do you think this is the end? Um, I don't think as a Patriots fan, I would say we're not done. There's a chance of a Super Bowl within five years if we trade and draft properly, like actually do like homework because it seems like, and I think so where you hinted at with like, you know, the nine part with Brady, I really want to know what happens with the whole Jimmy Garoppolo, like, what really, you know, because I think that played a big part, whether it was Brady, whether it was Kraft, whether it was Belichick, because I honestly think Jimmy was, like, our next QB. We found him. He wasn't – he's not the best QB, but his skill set, I think, you know, would have helped us if we kept him. Uh, do I think the QB that we, you know, that's currently our starter could lead us to something? I don't know. I haven't seen enough to, like, fully jump on his bandwagon as a Patriots fan. Yeah, it's an interesting uh, take. Again, I, I hope I answered your question, but it's, it's I'm in, the like, a limbo right now. I'm still a Patriots fan. I still believe in my team. But it's, like, the first time where it's, like, okay – what direction are we going? Are we going to, you know, lead the AFC East as you usually do? Or are we going to be battling? And I, I honestly think the Bills is the biggest threat right now because of the addition of Diggs. Like, it gives them another person our defense has to 
cover. The Jets, I'm not worried about. I give them like another two years. Yeah, well, Randy, go ahead. I was just going to say, Akil, I, I want you to be as unbiased as possible here because when I go back and watch the Patriots tape from last year, I saw an old quarterback who couldn't make a lot of, a lot of plays anymore. I saw a guy who lacked offensive weapons and a guy who couldn't make the same throws that he used to be able to play. Do you think it's a possibility that the Patriots are upgraded now at the quarterback position in 2020? Um, yes, as far as youth. I don't think the pieces around him is going to help him because whereas Brady, when he started showing signs of he could, like, you know, he started showing his age. Like, you know, Father Time was catching up with him. He still had Gronk. He still had Hogan. He still had Edelman. He still had uh, Cooks. To me, that year, you know, that's where our offense was the highest. Now, I don't know if we have the right pieces, like a safety blanket right now for our quarterback. That's my only worry. Somebody has to step up. I hope somebody steps up. But, you know, the current quarterback doesn't have that Gronk safety blanket. So, I, I, yes. I don't know. Um, yeah, sorry. To me, the big – no, you're good. To me, the biggest difference is the mobility. You said the youth. Uh, Tom Brady offered no elusiveness at all. And if the offensive line made one mistake – Oftentimes the ball got spiked into the ground. It got floated out of bounds. He did not, he was not able to make a lot of plays with his feet. And I know Tom Brady is the, I think Tom Brady is the goat. I think Bill Belichick is the goat, but father time is undefeated. I know it took a little bit longer with Brady, but last year when you watch the tape of Brady play and you're, you just see a guy who looks kind of old and mm, nope. it, he, he has, nope. you didn't think, you don't think so, Matt? No, no. Oh, Okay. I think you still saw the same traits that he had. Brady never had the strongest arm. I mean, we forget what he looked like, but what what it was, it was so based off timing and getting guys open. It was so predicated off Gronk. Now, that's a whole different argument if you want to talk about GOAT. Is Brady the GOAT? Because we saw Brady without talent, and it was awful. We saw Brady with talent, and he's one of the best quarterbacks that ever lived. So it goes back to the argument of, quarterbacks need to have that talent around them and when Gronk went away we saw what Brady was as good as Julian Edelman is as good as all those other players were Gronk is what made that offense excel to the next level we saw Brady with Moss I'm sorry and Wes Welker and that offense I Brady and Tampa is going to light it up Randy I mean that's I think what we have to look at is like, can he still play quarterback? Yes. Belichick did a horrible job surrounding them with talent. As much credit as we give him for all the Super Bowls and all the scheming, Akil, and I mean, I, I hate to trash the greatest of all cheaters when it comes to coaching. Oh, um, you know, his draft record <laughs> the past seven years just was awful when it came to surrounding Brady with offensive talents. Yeah, and yeah, I do agree because you saw where he's still really just a defensive mastermind. Most of his draft picks, you know, didn't, you know, he drafted well defensively, but for offense, there's no help at all. And that's where, again, 
Brady looked mediocre. He looked like, you know, sorry to take a jab, but like Eli Manning and a lot of other, you know, Q- <laughs> a lot of other QBs last year because, you know, he didn't have Gronk. He didn't have like, you know, wide receivers that was on time with the timing with him. You saw like, you saw him frustrated and you really rarely see him frustrated at all when he had Gronk, when, you know, he had the pieces that he could rely on. Yeah, I think that's a good point about the weapons. Uh, I guess, you know, he, he's always had guys that I never thought were the greatest receivers ever, but he made it work. But obviously Gronk, uh, that impact of Gronk can't be understated because uh, probably the most talented, uh, most physically gifted tight end of all time. Uh, what he did in the middle of the field, his blocking ability can't be understated. Um, I, I guess I was expecting him to elevate some of those guys more. Uh, Nikhil Harry, a rookie, Brady clearly didn't trust him very much. Uh, really, the only guy it seemed like he trusted was Julian Edelman. Uh, and I agree, Matt. He will light it up in Tampa Bay because they have offensive weapons that are – you could argue they have the best offensive weapon skill set of any team in the NFL at this point. So I think just by having that and having Bruce Arians as a coach, Tom, Tom Brady will be successful this year. It's not really what I was trying to say. Um, but you're right. Bill Belichick did not do a good job of surrounding him with offensive talent. What Bill Belichick is great at is defense. He was – people forget. I don't know if people do forget, but and I know people who forget that Bill Belichick was the Giants defensive coordinator in 86 and 90 when they won the Super Bowl. He's an all-time great defensive schemer. Um, I don't think people remember either that Stephon Gilmore won Defensive Player of the Year last year as a corner. He's the first corner to win Defensive Player of the Year. It's the first corner or secondary player, I should say, that won Defensive Player of the Year in 10 years. Uh, the defense is good enough. Bill Belichick is good enough. Uh, it comes it comes down to me with this team about Jared Stidham and the weapons around him. Um, so I, I want to go around the, the panel now with you guys and get your official Patriots prediction for 2020. I will start it off here, and then I'll pass it to you, Matt. Uh, I'm going to say the Patriots go 500 at 8-8. Eight and eight. I'm going to say the Patriots go 7-9. and nine. Akil, on to you. Um, I, I started 8-8. Eight and eight. I think if things go our way, if we could gel at the right time, 10 and 6. I'll go, I'm going out on a limb with my team, 10 and 6. Uh, and Jake, what about you? What do you think about Pats? Uh, I'll go 9 and 7. I think they can uh, – they probably have more wins than we do. You know. <laughs> I just – every time I think, man, we might be getting out of that hole. We might not see him again. Something comes up. I just have nine and seven is fair. Yeah, I, that's more than fair. Just yeah, hate I, to say. I, it. I think it's a respect thing with Bill. I don't think that we can truly say that they're going to be awful without Brady. I mm-hmm. think that Bill is going to get his guys to, to step up and play. Um, and I think we all agree that one of the worst case scenario, obviously, Akil doesn't feel this way, but if the Patriots went two and fourteen and end up with Trevor Lawrence. Um, there's no God. And don't don't you football. put that voodoo on us, Randy. <laughs> stop it right now. No, um, but I, I want to get if, one question. If they're going to tank, I wouldn't admit it, but that might not be a bad fit. But you still need <laughs> help on as a wide receiver. That's all I would say. Yeah, God, please save us from that. Uh, before we move on to Jacob's Jets, uh, I want to get to a question from our founder and our, our our leader, Henry, here. He says, do you guys think we'll ever get the real behind-the-scenes story on Bill Belichick and the Brady breakup? Absolutely not. Yeah, no, maybe. We'll get, like, bits and pieces, but they're not going to come out with the whole thing. No, of course, of course not. 
Okay, what about you, man? Oh, sorry, say that again? No, do you think that we'll ever get the real story on the uh, Brady-Belichick breakup? I hope. I hope I hope they give access to find out because as a Patriots fan, I definitely want to know who's to blame, why we didn't, like, even if he wasn't going to take the contract, why we didn't keep uh, Jimmy. Because we already knew Brady wasn't going to retire because of what happened there. You know, to me, the, the thing that I want after that documentary with Brady is a little bit of the behind-the-scenes drama that happened towards the end. Uh, like, was Garoppolo, you know, the breaking point with Kraft and the organization and trying to build for the future? Were they not willing to part with Brady to start up with Jimmy G? Were they – like, was – I want to know the importance, really, of Jimmy G because I feel like they really were all in on him. And the fact that Brady wasn't willing to – to go and Brady was still uh, playing well enough to not go is a big part of that story, I think. Yep. I All right. So. Jacob, it's your time now to shine here. You're wearing your uh, your black and green. Yeah. For the, uh, I've been to a few Jets games in my life. Jets are a very passionate fan base. Um, I don't know if I would call them smart, but they're certainly passionate. <laughs> um, but in my rundown here, I, I, my first point is it is put up or shut up time for Sam Darnold. Uh, he was he was to me uh, someone that was supposed to be the best player in that draft uh, in 2018, and the USC he had some success, and I really thought he elevated some some bad USC teams. Um, he obviously hasn't had a lot of success with the Jets. A lot of that has to do with the Jets themselves. I think uh, last year they had a nice run at the end of the year, obviously, 6-2 and two to finish the year. Still had two brutal losses to the winless Dolphins and the winless Bengals. To me, this has got to be the year that Sam Darnold, you know, starts the show flashes. What do you think about the Sam Darnold in 2020? I agree. Those two losses hurt. Like you, have to, like you have to go back over that, man. That hurt. But, um, yeah, I, I, matter of fact, no, I'm going to go this way. I won't say it's put up a shut up time because they still haven't put a number one receiver around it, like giving him a number one receiver or go-to guy. So I'll say next year, but he can't have a shitty year. You can't. There's no way in hell you can just be making the same mistakes over and over and expect, you know, people not to start to go, wait, will this be the guy? But Sam, you know, he can make the throws. He's mobile. You know, he can – he's made some throws that I'm just like, oh, wait a minute. I didn't see this in college. And he's he's taking that step. But with the offensive guru, Adam Gase, <laughs> um, I, you got to let Sam loose. Let him throw the ball down the field. Stop this. No, no, no. It's so irritating. Listen. 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 If you want him to <laughs> – let it down the field. You're gonna help our. You're gonna help us win more games. <laughs> <laughs> no matter what, he just has to. But come on, wasn't um Adam Gase a offensive coordinator with the with the Bears? And my my, my guy Jay Cutler had one of his best career years. I mean, yeah. it, I mean, he was really really good at throwing the ball one yard and you know, well, fifteen yards towards the sideline for one yard gains. I mean, was a thing of magic. Uh, I just, yeah, he, he did it a lot this year, too. You're going back, oh, yeah, maybe he's going to, oh, it's a dump pass, two yards and one. Offensive guru my ass. I, I said that about 100 times. <laughs> I know I did. 
what the hell we get this for? We could have got McCarthy. I, I think I would have felt better with him. But this is what we have. And like I said, with the guys he has now, he might be able to do something with. Herndon is going to be big. If he can stay on the field, that would help him out a lot. Mims, I don't know. I won't count yet. Harriman, we, that's our speed right there. Crowder will get about 500, 600, maybe 700 yards out of him. He'll be okay. But we just we need that number one guy. You know, like, you know, they just gave Josh Allen get digs and what Sam get? <laughs> like, who's our number one receiver? We have better. Right. So maybe he has a, a good year with a better offensive line, but it's going to come down to throwing the ball. You're not. Come on, it's, All right. it's not the Ryan Jets right now. All right, I'm getting my scalpel out. It, it's it's time to dissect the player known as Sam Darnold. I've seen more Sam Darnold tape than I would imagine anybody in this group and in any football. I mean, as mm-hmm. I said at the top of the show, I'm a huge USC fan. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I, I'm, a, I'm a football junkie. And watching Sam Darnold from his freshman year in college – to the New York Jets, his second year in the NFL, I'm seeing the same mistakes that he made. We talk about growth. Growth can't be, you know, five more completions. It can't be, you know, making a sound decision on one more play per season. Mm -hmm. Sam makes some incredibly dumb throws in key situations that will absolutely kill your team. And that's been his MO at USC. And I'll be the first to admit he was fantastic at USC. I thought he was going to be a fantastic NFL quarterback because you could see things about his game. The arm strength is undeniable. Mm-hmm. He's quietly elusive. You, you may not think he has good oh, yeah. footwork, but he can maneuver around the pocket. He knows how to set up his pocket pretty well. But it's just it, – there's too much Jay Cutler in believing in his arm, you know. Um, I got a buddy from, we call it the LCC Connection, you know, Lake County, Illinois. That's where we come from. And we, we watched the, a couple of games in the past, and we've talked about it. Like, USC skill position players can hide a lot of flaws in a lot of quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. And we're talking wide receivers like Marquise Lee, Damian Williams, a lot of those guys that we that I love. But, man – Sam cannot keep on living the way he's living in the NFL, even with Gase. Like, mm-hmm. Gase had Cutler, so he knew how to rein him in. Darnold, if you have to rein him in like Cutler, you got yourself a whole lot of trouble, and it keeps on going back to the Patriots dominating. Like, every year, this division just gives the Patriots a silver platter and an easy road to the playoffs. Every year. So, unless Sam Darnold can, one, stop – thinking that he can make every throw on the football field. That's yes, y- y- your arm's fantastic. We get it. That's great. A big thing that we used to say in college when we were playing was KYP, know your personnel. Mm-hmm. Know, who's, know who you're going against. Know who was on your team, what they're capable of. And, you know, you trust your teammates, but you can't put the ball in dangerous situations. And Sam does that way too much. I don't see him getting out of that. It's been five years I've I've been seeing Sam Darnold play and I haven't seen it. I don't think we will. Now, Akil, I think we already got your uh, impression on Sam Darnold that you want him to throw more because it'll help your team. Uh, <laughs> is there any part of you thinks that Sam Darnold can take the next step this year? Um, I think what happens is that I think Bell plays a part. If he 
buys into the team 100% and could give us like 70, give, not give us, but give them 75% of what he's capable or what he did for the Steelers, I think it helps because it keeps the defense honest. You can't just rush Donald, you know, and make him throw, make bad throws, you know, try to fit in, you know, double coverage. So I think Bell is important. It's like the running game. He needs that running game to make the throws down the field. When they but signed I, Le'Veon again, Bell, it's, yeah. I, I thought I, – when they signed Le'Veon Bell, I thought he was going to be that security blanket that, you know, quarterbacks young, – young quarterbacks rely on so much when it comes to pass rushing. He can be the check down guy. Uh, you know, Gase had a lot to do with those issues last year, I think, for sure. Yeah. Um, but I agree. Bell is so important to this team, um, whether it just be controlling the clock, um, being a security blanket for Darnold, which is so huge. Instead of forcing the ball downfield, it's okay to check it down and get a couple yards exactly. and then to see another day. You know, I think that that's a big problem. Darnold's problem is he lacks decision-making abilities. Like Matt said, is that we know your arm is amazing, but um, fitting those throws into tight windows is how you get you do how you turn the ball over all the time. I lived this life with Eli Manning for 16 years. The guy did not mean to throw. He did not think he could make. Uh, <laughs> and he turned the ball over a lot because of it. Uh, the guy gave you two of the best days of my life, but at the same time, he was very infuriating to watch on occasion because he had no, you know, self-awareness and, you know, lacked decision-making and sometimes of importance. Uh, and I feel that way about Sam Darnold as well. So to me, this is the year Sam Darnold's going to show me something. Whether the Jets are successful or not, um, I just need to see Sam Darnold take a step forward uh, with his progression, uh, I wanted to talk. Go ahead, Matt. Yeah, I, I was gonna. I, I didn't want to move off the Jets just yet because I, I got another bone to pick with the organization itself, and <laughs> a lot of it has to do with the jersey that Jacob's wearing over here. I mean, how you even let Jamal Adams one get disgruntled, two not lock him up long term. It is a huge misstep, and giving Adam Gase power over player personnel exactly. is a dangerous, dangerous road to go. I agree. So um, I, I agree. Yep. I mean, I'm, Jamal Adams should have been locked up yesterday. Like, exactly. it, it, he, he's – safeties don't get a lot of respect in the NFL. But, man, when you get a good one and you know you have a good one – you do mm-hmm. not let them go because they can flip a game on their head just like we talked about Reggie Bush doing. They can have a mm-hmm. huge impact stopping the run, playing, covering, you know, your tight ends. That's your building block. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. I'm, I don't know what – I, I think it's Gase. I, am, I know it's him. I know it. He didn't want to sign Bell. I think that was more of a Johnson role. He's like, listen, we're going to get this kid. That, that's about it. But I think this is Gase. This is his mind games. This is why I didn't want him. I try to give him a benefit of a doubt, but he's gonna fuck this up big time. I know he is. It's just we're gonna we're gonna wind up trading Adams to the Cowboys for like a first round draft pick. That won't be shit, and it's gonna piss me off. It, I just I see it happening. Jamal's too good. And we always have this conversation about premium players and stuff like that. But Jamal Adams is a premium player that you pay. I'm sorry. Like you get you draft someone, and the Jets have not had that much success drafting over the past almost ten years. And this guy comes along, and now all of a sudden, you see Miles Garrett about to get a mega contract. Then okay, you're gonna sit back and go, wait. Oh, what are you trying to say? I don't deserve money like that. He's he's gonna want to believe in. 
I'll be shocked mm-hmm. if they get anything done. And it's going to hurt. Uh, Ashton I, Davis. I, I, yeah, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, I can't have Jamal Adams be on the Cowboys, man. I need you guys to hold on to him, bro. <laughs> that dude is terrifying. I can't have him in the same division as me. He is so good. I mean, we played the Jets one time last year, and he had five plays that changed the entire game. Like, normally mm-hmm. a guy has one. He had – he blew up Barkley on a block. He stripped Daniel Jones and took it to the house all in one motion. Like, mm-hmm. that takes a special player to make that kind of playoff of a blitz, especially when you're a safety. I mean, I don't know what the Jets are doing, but the pair of Adams and C.J. Mosley on defense, that has potential. And C.J. Mosley obviously has to stay healthy, but you got to also mm-hmm. make sure your star player is happy. Exactly. It makes no sense to me. If, if the Jets mm-hmm. ever get a pass rusher, man, that defense is going to be scary. Forget about it. Imagine if yeah. Quinnen could take – Quinnen. Imagine if he could take a big step and actually get to the quarterback. He's pulling the Leonard Williams right now. And thank you for taking him. We appreciate that. Um, but, <laughs> but, yeah, but when Leonard Williams, he's turning, he's going to turn right into him. He'll do all, like, the dirty work, but he'll never be able to get to the freaking quarterback. Snacks was good at it. He could do the dirty work and get to the quarterback. But Quinnen, I don't know if he's too nice. I, I don't know what it is. But that kid better find a mean streak and fast. Oh, he's going to. Right up the door he goes. I just don't know why you guys haven't signed Clowney yet. I mean, he's right out there. You got plenty of cap space. I, man, if I could tell you just things about the Jets I don't get, we'll be here all night, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be totally honest with you. It's just, just. What the yeah, f- I, I think right. if they, you know, they offer Clowney that money and then uh, Leon threw out, why don't you sign Antonio Brown? Give Darnold that number one. I'll get him too. I don't care how much drama it's going to be. Give Gates the biggest freaking, Lord, like, God forbid, a heart attack or something and get him something. Drive him crazy. <laughs> Produce, but drive him crazy. I don't care what you got to do. Get Darnold weapons, see what he is, and just run with it. Because this six and wins and five wins, no. We got to get to eight, nine. We got to be in the mix. Because the Bills, no. they're going to be good, but they're beatable, as you can see. Every team in this is beatable this year. If this is going to make a run, it's going to be this year. We'll see. You guys better get that yeah. run in a hurry because those Dolphins are coming and they're going to be scary. Yeah, for sure, for sure. They had a great draft. Right? Well, Matt, as always, that, that's a perfect alley-oop to our next part of this. But before we move on, I just want to say thanks to Akil for hopping on to talk some AFC East and some Patriots for us. Uh, he had to take off. So I just want to say thank you to him for hopping on. Uh, Jacob, you're going to ride out the rest of this with us. Yes, sir. Uh, I just want to get your – uh, official Jets prediction as a Jets homer. I, I worry about their their schedule. It's pretty tough, it's but tough. I want to hear from you. I will say I'm going to go with 500. I'm going to go to eight and eight. Okay. One more win from last year. I'll I'll take it. I'll take eight and eight, and we'll run with it. Matt, I assume you're a little less optimistic about the the J E T S Jets Jets Jets. Of course he is. <laughs> that schedule is so brutal. It is I'm, bad. I, I mean, I. If you guys get six wins, I that's going to be impressive on my end. Um, I think five and eleven. I tend to agree with you, Matt. I see the five and eleven, six and ten here strictly because of the schedule. It is it is really tough. If Donald becomes you know an elite quarterback this year somehow, then. I could see that record becoming better. But right now, with that schedule as currently constructed and how much I trust Arnold at the moment, it's hard for me to be that confident in them. Um, 
They got to beat the Dolphins twice, which is a good transition uh, into our next team in the AFC, which is the Miami Dolphins. Uh, Matt, you mentioned them before this because you said they are coming. I think we both agree that this team could potentially have the best QB in this in this division mm-hmm. right now, and uh, the rest of the division might not even know it. Yeah, the, the Dolphins are scary for a lot of different reasons. Um, I love – I mean, I absolutely love Brian Flores as a head coach. The one Patriot assistant that's going to be really good in the NFL, Brian Flores, go figure, and nobody really <laughs> wanted him. Yeah. You know, so I, I love Flores as a coach and his philosophy. He built, He's building that defense the way that I think always defense, you know, stop the run first, just take that out. He's got a really good core of linebackers. Man, that draft was a home run for the Dolphins. I know in our mock draft I had them trading up to get – Two a number one, but to have two a fall to you, number five. And I, I had two as the best quarterback in this draft. I know people will say I'm crazy that Burrow was better. No, I saw three years of two at Alabama. His accuracy and his touch is so far and beyond what a college quarterback should be going into the NFL. It is, you know, I, I can't even say it. I mean, he's a bigger version of Steve Young, in my opinion. He does so many things that makes a difference on the football field and they know how to draft. They know what they're doing. They have a boatload of picks still coming up this year. It it may not be this year. They probably still finish, you know, right right around there with the jets somewhere for the bottom of the division, but man, you give them another year with another solid draft. This team's going to run roughshod over the AFC East. In my rundown, I wrote it's two a time. Uh, I know he has health (laughs) issues. If he is, if he's ready to play, you got to throw him out there and let him work his magic because I agree. He is the best quarterback in this draft, especially if he's healthy. Uh, he is, you know, you're right. I hate comparing guys to Russell Wilson because he is very much a unique player in his own right, but he is a lefty Russell Wilson to me, um, potentially with a better arm, um, which is scary to think about it because Russell Wilson has still a great arm. Uh, if Tua is as good as we think he's going to be, then the Dolphins are going to be the team in this division to be for the next 10 years. Um, to me, they are still in rebuilding mode. I don't know how good they're going to be this year, but considering they started, what, 0-10 last year and yep. still finished still finished with four wins, four or five wins, it says a lot about the coaching staff for not giving up. Uh, they, they didn't have to tank and they still got their guy. I mean, that's good fortune at the end of the day, but um, you know, you, you, you get, you build locker room trust by not tanking seasons like that. Um, now Jake, I want to get your thoughts. If, if Tua, do you trust Tua? Do you think Tua could be the guy right away? Or do you, you expect this to be a long process with him? I would say I would give him about a year. I'm going to be fair and give him a year. Just let, who's their backup, who's their backup right now? Is Ryan Fitzpatrick, who might be the oh, best yeah. quarterback in the division. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, trust me, I've seen enough of that Jekyll and Hyde nonsense. But, um, yeah, just let him, you know, let Ryan Fitzpatrick, he's been around, he could be a nice tutor for Tua. Don't try to rush him in there. Just let him, let him rock, let him learn, and let him lose year two. But I, I do agree that the kid is good. I watched a lot of him at Alabama as well. The kid, he had everything you would want, you know, just the arm. It's mobile. I don't know how mobile he's going to be. I think he's going to be skittish from, you know, when he got injured. Yeah, but will he be better than Sam? I don't know. I don't, I think he'll be one of the top – he'll be decent. I won't put him out there like that yet because he, he has Parker, but you still got to get the – like Leon said, he, he, Devontae Parker, you have him. He's going to be good. 
You got to have that number two receiver. Get him a nice blanket of a tight end. That, well, Galecki, he's, he's decent. So yeah. I'll say year two. Year two, I think we'll see what he can do. But I, I won't crown him a star yet. Yeah, Plus when preparing for our draft shows, I really love the Tua to Jerry Judy connection. Uh, Jerry Judy, I think, is going to be an elite receiver in this league. Uh, Devontae Parker is one of the most underrated players yes. offensively in the sport. And, I mean, because he plays for the Dolphins and often has uh, awful quarterback play, you don't really hear a lot about him. But, mm-hmm. you know, he's going to make a difference for Tua, and I'm really looking forward to see that connection that they have. Um, you know, Matt, do you think that that, you know, Tua to Devontae Parker connection could be one of the best in the league, you know, pretty quickly here? I think Tua to anybody is going to be a pretty special connection. I mean – I get excited about some quarterbacks I see. I mean, obviously, I was pretty excited about Sam Darnold, and I've been pretty disappointed up to this point. Um, You know, obviously, with Trubisky, I talked myself into Trubisky, but I thought Deshaun Watson was fantastic. I kind of feel like Tua is a souped-up version of Watson because what Tua does, and I I think a lot of people don't take this serious enough – his touch and ball placement is so far and above. I mean, we're talking Aaron Rodgers' ball placement. I don't think people understand that enough. Like, his arm may not be as strong as Rodgers, but his ball placement is just as good. So you take a look at that with Parker, who's a big body. He's going to be able to put it in spots for Parker to get it at any point. I just think if that hip is 100% healthy, there's four GMs that have to answer a, a big question because none of those teams have a quarterback that you can say, that's my guy. I love him. And, you know, I know the Giants are optimistic with Daniel Jones. Tua, if that hip is healthy, a million times better. The Redskins with Haskins, I, I like Haskins. Still too much to be proven with him. Tua's better. Joe Burrow, two was better. I'm trying – oh, the Lions. Oh, my God. Poor Leon <laughs> Lions. I mean, uh, let's just start putting the dirt over Matthew Stafford because that, that era is almost done. That's right, Jacob. Yeah, let's get it. Yeah. You mentioned Brian Flores earlier, and it's kind of crazy that he is, of all the guys uh, under the Bill Belichick tree of coaches that is – Kind of the one we're optimistic about here. Uh, Matt Patricia is kind of a disaster in Detroit. Leon again. I'm sorry. Um, you know, Bill O'Brien has been Bill O'Brien has been you know a huge. I think joke is the best word that I can say. Uh, running the Texans, um, Flores really had his guys ready to play at the end of the year there, despite that their efforts to deplete the roster to try to tank for Tua, like Henry said in the comments earlier. I can't believe I'm saying this, but Brian Flores, I think Brian Flores is the one Belichick disciple that I trust the most here. Yeah, I, that's that's a great point. I have no question that what Flores had, when you saw at the end of the season, you saw a team that wanted to play for its coach, whereas when you see with Patricia, Patricia, who cares what his name is at this point, the Lions were ready to pack it in, man. They didn't care. They're like, whatever, let's just get the season over with. I mean, and Jacob, you you got to be familiar with Eric Mangini. The the first year was okay. They quit at the end. They hated that guy. Uh, fuck you, you old pig. Nah, we're not playing for you. Anymore. But the thing about it, I think he got fired. At like, I think we had a five record. We got fired. That was the crazy yeah. part. He's garbage. He deserved to get fired. But by the way, a shameless plug here, because um, Felipe Malicio, 
told us to, um, he always talked about this Nate Silver book, fantastic. Um, and they, there was a part about Eric Mangini and he's going around the room asking his players, what's the greatest ability? And everyone's like, oh, coach, I don't know. And it was availability. <laughs> this Mangini, boy. Yeah, we have some fun coaches. All right. <laughs> uh, before we move on to what I believe is the cream of the crop of this division, uh, I want to get your official predictions on the Miami Dolphins. Uh, to me, the Dolphins are a rebuilding team, and I'm excited to watch Tua. I think that they're in the 5-11, 6-10 you know. Best case scenario, if Tua just takes over and kind of lights the league on fire, they could be, you know, 500 game or better. Um, but, you know, that remains to be seen. So, still a rebuilding team, but I think they make a lot of progress this year. Jacob, what about you? 6-1, I'll give them – no, I'll agree with you with 5. 5-11, and 11. that sounds about fair. Maybe yeah. Ryan Fitzpatrick, I kind of want him to shit the bed pretty bad so we can see Tua kind of quickly. So, yeah. um yeah, I agree with you with that one. But they're they're going to be a team that I actually watch. They're going to be fun to watch. Though. I'll give them that. Matt Bushnell, Miami Dolphins in 2020. I, I like this team a lot. As you can tell, I'm very high on the Dolphins for 2021. I, I think this is the first year they, they start opening eyes. I think nine and seven. Wow. I mean, this is the year in the division. I think that that, you know, would be the time to pounce. I think this is a weak division right now. And I think, you know, if they could catch – uh, you know, they, they they beat the Jets when they were winless last year. I think they kind of have the Jets number part two. He sucks. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, I, I could see it. I mean, you know, there are crazier scenarios, but, you know, this division, you know, I have a hard time believing anyone, but the team we're about to talk about is really all that that's talented here. Uh, all right. So the cream of the crop, the team of the division to beat is, drum roll, the Buffalo Bills, my friends out in Western New York, could not be happier that Tom Brady is gone. Because now the Buffalo Bills have the best roster in the division, the best defense in the division, um, the second best coach in the division. Um, I think they have all the talent that you possibly want. And there's only one question. And that guy is under center. His name is Josh Allen. Matt, you're critical of Sam Darnold. I also believe you're critical of Josh Allen. Is this the year that he puts it all together? I, you know, He's the one quarterback that, that I struggle with the most because I don't see a great deal of accuracy for him. I mean, he can utilize his legs. T to me, it's a lot of Mitch Trubisky with him. And I, I know that's a curse word for some people. But, <laughs> no, I mean, hear me out here. I, Mitch has potential with the right coaching and with the right system. I mean, if you utilize the right plays – like what we saw what Harbaugh did with Lamar Jackson, which was magnificent. I think Josh Allen needs that. I, I don't believe in his throwing prowess. He's got a strong arm. I don't mm -hmm. like his ball placement. I, I think a lot like Sam, he puts the ball in danger too many times. It, Sam's better at making decisions where if Josh Allen doesn't see it, he gets happy feet and he starts mm -hmm. moving around the pocket way too much. He opens himself up to sacks. He holds onto the ball too long. Uh, it was a benefit of playing a really weak schedule. I mean, I, I think people lose sight of that. The Bills team prior, I mean, they didn't play a lot of teams that I worry about. So 
why I think they win this division, I keep on going back to you always get that one or two teams, you know, and it, it always mm-hmm. is different on the other spectrum. Like, I think the Jets are a better football team than what their record will be just because of how bad that schedule is going to be. I think the Bills are going to have a better record than what the team actually is. I see mm-hmm. a lot of fool's gold with the Bills. No. Uh, to me, I, like I, I, Jake, I don't know about you, but I still feel like the Bills have the best roster in this division and that the only question mark is 17. And, uh, you know, I think that they are primed and ready for a run here. But uh, do you have your doubts like Matt? Absolutely. They're the fucking Bills. Like, come on now. <laughs> That's the one thing. I speak to a lot of Bills fans. They're pumping their chest. Let's not forget. Yeah. They haven't – they weren't that good. It took them a while to get where they were. They basically – last time they were good was the Hot Boys was taking over for the 9-9 in 2000. But um, <laughs> let's be really – but they took a lot of time. You know, McDermott's a great coach. I mean, he he's up there. And their defense is stout. I will give them that. Now they give their – like I wanted, and I'm jealous as hell because they gave their quarterback a number one receiver. They no hesitation to go out there and get him a number one receiver. Now Allen has no excuse. He has yeah. a good tight end in Knox. You know, Singletary is going to be if they let that kid loose. That's my guy. That's my guy. Gracious, that kid is going to yeah. go. You have him. Do they still have Zay Jones too, or they? they get no. Rid of him? Yeah, he got, they got rid of him. Got rid of but him. John Brown. John Brown, John Brown had a, a really Cole good year for them, Beasley. and Cole Beasley, yep. yeah. Cole Beasley. I mean, he has weapons, so I, I can't see them failing. I can see them go, getting into the playoffs, but it's going to be one team that they face that they can't. Look at them. They had the game with Houston. And what happened? Josh Allen with his, his mentality stumbles 20 yards back. What the hell are you doing, dude? Come on, you're in the playoffs. Yeah. I know you're a rookie and all, but you got to – you got to be quick, but yeah. like I give, I will agree with Matt. They're going to be a better team, you know. But their record, eh, it's going to be, it's going to be good. But they're not going to be as good as you think they are. So yeah. I do agree with you on that one. I'm, I'm glad you broke down some of the offensive players they have because they obviously traded a first round pick to the Vikings for Stephon Diggs to most mm-hmm. of the receiving core that already had John Brown, who played great for them last year, yes. and Cole Beasley, who fit in mm-hmm. with the the culture there perfectly. Um, Matt, I want to get your thoughts. What is Stephon Diggs' impact going to be? Because I don't know if Stephon Diggs is a top five receiver. I don't think he's even a top ten receiver. But obviously he's a good player. But I think they're kind of overrating his impact a little bit. I think the biggest thing that we saw from Diggs was he made plays and spurts. Like the 49ers game, he had the touchdown, but then he was non-existent, you know, for most of the games. Uh, Diggs always struggled against the Bears. I was never really impressed with him when the Bears – that could be a Kirk Cousins issue. But Cousins always you – know, he, he put the ball in catchable places. Mm-hmm. I, I, man, Diggs is hard to really put my finger on because Thielen was so good at yes. occupying, you know, the safeties and linebackers on those crossing routes. So is Diggs a number one wide receiver in this league? Yeah. Would I have traded a first-round pick for him? No. Would I have given him that contract? No. So the I, Bills I, have to be kicking themselves, Matt. That DeAndre Hopkins got traded in the same week for a second-round pick. Wouldn't you rather have DeAndre Hopkins if you're the Bills? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I got to respond to this. 
So Hen- Henry said the Bills are going to make to the AFC AFC Championship game. What? Boy, <laughs> lay off the booze. No way the Bills make it to the AFC Championship game. If they have to run into the Chiefs, it's over from the start. The Chiefs can spot them 35 points, and they're still winning that football game. Like, they're going to beat the Ravens? The Ravens are going to knock the shit out of them. Like, this Bills aura, like, everyone's buying into this fucking team. What have they done? Like, who is Josh Allen? Give me a Josh Allen signature moment. Where is it? So just show me on tape where he's read a defense and was able to make the correct throw to win the damn game. There is no goddamn Josh Allen moment. Like, everyone hyping him up to be a top-12 quarterback is pissing me off because he hasn't done jack shit in this league, and everyone's just buying it off his arm strength and his mobility. There is nothing there that gives me confidence in Josh Allen to be a long-term answer to lead a championship team. Mahomes is light years better than him. Hell, I'll take Brady over him and Sam Darnold over him and Tua over him. He's the fourth best quarterback in that division, and if you press me on it, I might wow. take Fitzpatrick over him too. God. Oh, I, I, I mean, too. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what, I mean, I argue with Bills fans all the time about this. They're like, oh, he's so much better than Darnold. I said, first of all, Sam missed like three or four games with Mono, and he still was better than Josh Allen numbers-wise, and they were close. Yeah. And that's how bad it was. I'm like, so what are you telling me right now? Like I said, I'm not gonna hype up Sam. Like I said, I just want him to be. I want him to be a good quarterback for the next ten years. I don't like this quarterback carousel nonsense that's yeah. been going on. I, give me four thousand yards, twenty-five touchdowns of thirty. Chill. Give me fifteen interceptions. Don't go Jameis on me, but just just be a really good quarterback, and I'll be happy to just surround him. But Josh Allen, yeah, he is very overhyped. He was he was all arm, and he can run, but. It's going to be the first time when he overthrows Stephon Diggs five or six times and going to punch him in the mouth. <laughs> I uh, I worked with a lot of Bills fans because I did some work for Buffalo, uh, oh, the yeah. news of Buffalo. And um, they all love Josh Allen. And it's weird because I would always say that he's lucky he got drafted by Buffalo and not like the Jets or the Giants because, you know, the New York media is different in Western New York than it is in New York City. He'd be getting killed, I think, by the New York media. But at the same time, Darnold, I think, has escaped a lot of that criticism. So I'm not 100% sure. Mm-hmm. However, uh, he, he, to me, is the only thing holding back this team from doing well. Uh, I think if McDermott is smart, he'll run the offense a lot through Singletary. Singletary mm-hmm. is so underrated. Missed oh, yeah. a lot of games with injury last year. Uh, if Singletary is healthy, I think, you know, he's a lot sleeper fantasy running back. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I love Devin Singletary. I think he's, he's smooth. He's a big back, hard to take down, but he's also quick. Uh, if you haven't watched Devin Singletary, go watch the impact he had because they, they gave the ball to Frank Gore way too much last year. Frank Gore is the slowest, uh, you know, old veteran guy that you possibly have back there. And I got a lot of respect for Frank Gore, um, but it's time to hang it up. I mean, he's not an effective player anymore. Um, but to me, the biggest impact, the, the biggest thing about this team, that's why it's going to be so good, is that defense is elite. Uh, I think they have the potential to be a top five defense. Mm-hmm. Jacob, you talked about how you think that they have a lot of talent on defense as well. Tredavious White, uh, Tremaine Edmonds is only 21 years old, and he's already a stud middle linebacker. Poyer. Uh, Poyer, hell of a player. They have a good pass rush. Um, Ed Oliver is going to be in a second year who could potentially, you know, impact the defensive line too. Matt, you're shaking your head. You do not believe in this Bills defense. I mean, no, it's it's not that I don't believe in the Bills defense. It's the fact that if you have to rely on a defense for sustained success, it never works. 
like with the, the Bears. Bears. The, the Bears. Yeah, two, 2018, 2018, the Bears had the best defense in the NFL by mm-hmm. almost everyone's predictions. Mm-hmm. But the quarterback still failed, and that caused them not to go far. So 2019 happened. The defense fell off a little bit. They're eight and mm-hmm. eights, you know, and obviously the offense was a mess. The Broncos mm-hmm. won a Super Bowl with an elite defense. Where were they at the year after that? I mean, mm-hmm. you see these defenses. You can never count on a defense to have the same amount of success they had the year prior. You're talking mm-hmm. about injuries, and defensive players always get hurt more than offensive players. And just regression in general. Defenses always regress, as Felipe would always tell me. Talking about the Bears, I was overhyped for the Bears this coming year, and the defense regressed. And, and it, it's, it's, it's true. It's, it's one of those things. If you have to count on your defense to win you a championship from what they did the year prior, you're probably mm-hmm. going to be disappointed in the following year. Mm-hmm. I do. That's fair. That's a fair point. Uh, you know, just for the sake of 2020 purposes, I think that uh, the defense is good enough to help the Bills at the very least uh, make the playoffs in which they were a playoff team last year as well. Um, yeah. Matt, we're going to start off with you then. I want to hear your uh, Buffalo Bills official prediction. 11 and 5. 11 and 5. All right, yep. there you have it. That sounds like a playoff team to me. Jake, what about you? Same thing, 11 and 5. Easy. <laughs> I just... This team's going to win double-digit games, I think, just based on the division alone. Their defense is good enough. Um, regardless of my belief in Josh Allen, which I think they definitely have the roster to, to win. I'm going to say 10 and 6, uh, just because maybe the Dolphins sneak a game out of them or something. But uh, – I'm going to say 10 and 6, they win the uh, AFC East. And there you have it. That is the first installment of our division series. Uh, Jake, again, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show with us. Uh, you know, be sure you catch the step back on Wednesdays over in Baldest Life. Uh, what week we got going on right now? We're doing 70s week over there? Yes, yeah, 70s week. Check it out. We're going to be doing I'm going to post a few more things tonight and throwing it back. I don't know if we're going to go 60s. And, you know, that's getting kind of old for me. <laughs> <laughs> But, yeah, we're having fun. Definitely check it out. Like I said, the life difference. You guys do a great job. We appreciate you. Love the name change, the Audible. I'm, every time I hear Audible, <laughs> I just scream out Omaha. No goddamn <laughs> but, um, Love what you guys do. All the life. Like I said, Jake, wrestling. Like, oh, man, it's all the life. It's just, just amazing, man. I definitely appreciate you guys. Yeah, of course. I mean, we appreciate you coming on. We're obviously a family here, and we, we all love each other and, you know, hope that – uh. The, the audience enjoys all these shows as well. Um, this is, like I said, was the first installment of our division series. We're going to continue previewing each division by division, but we want you to decide in football life. I'm going to post another poll tonight and we're going to go on whatever you guys want to see next Friday. So the AFC East is out the window. I think the, the second highest vote getter was the NFC North, Matt. So we might be talking about your bears next week, but oh, be, yeah, be sure to look out, <laughs> be, be sure to look out for the a poll tonight. We're going to run it through Monday um pretty much up until dong city starts and that's going to be the next podcast uh coming up here in life groups which is in baseball life obviously vince mercandetti and henry maldonado are going to break down the ongoing labor dispute in the baseball world uh that's going to be dong city at uh 6 30 uh or seven o'clock i'm not sure i probably should know that by now uh just be on the lookout for dong city thank you henry seven o'clock on mondays uh matt uh do you have any parting words for the audience today don't believe in Josh Allen. And just <laughs> another thing, I just wanted to give a shout out to Jake and Leon for that podcast on 70s Week with Robert Holiday. 
one of my most favorite podcasts to listen to ever. I mean, that was such a trip. And I mean, I watched a lot of 80s basketball as a kid because, you know, ESPN Classic, God bless it. But man, you got to check out that podcast. There were some names that I completely forgot about. Just that was good. A, yeah, it was it was an awesome show. Yeah, to be sure. Uh, if you miss any of our podcasts live on Facebook, all of their our pods go on Spotify. So if you can't watch, you can always listen there. So be sure to go back and catch that as well. Uh, again, Jake, so much. Thank you so much for uh, for hopping out here with us. It was a lot of, a lot of fun. And uh, again, we're gonna do this again next week with another division. Matt, again, it was a pleasure as always to talk football with you guys. Be sure to love each other, man. Too much going on in the world. Love each other. Care for one another. I hope you all stay safe. Have a good weekend.